Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 71. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we're here to kick off the new year by circling back around to last year and tying up some loose ends. Yes, we're, we're time traveling back into the last decade. Yeah, there were a lot of um, a lot of the live action remakes done in the last couple of years. I feel like they threw a few out there in 2019 to get us prepared for at least Mulan, which is coming out later this year. And one of the first to kick off the 2019 tying up of loose ends, so to speak, when it comes to the live action remakes was Tim Burton's remake of Dumbo, which came out in the spring of last year, which we had discussed the original Dumbo. And I'll give a brief, and I mean a brief synopsis of that in just a moment. But that was a movie where when we watched it, I know at least I had said this is a movie that is sort of due for a redo or a reboot. Yeah, we had agreed that it was definitely a product of its time and it wasn't necessarily aging well. Coupled with it was also released in 1941. You yeah. had, you know, the between the war and the animator strike. I think those things definitely showed in the film because it was one of Disney's shortest to that point. And I think that that was, you know, in an effort to save time and budget. Yeah, I mean, the movie really only has a running time of about an hour. And when we watched the original and when we did our review back on episode number 31, I had said that I thought the movie was much longer than it ran, although it really did only run at about an hour. Um and yes, it, it very much felt dated. We said that at the time without spoiling too much. Like I said, you can go back and listen to the original review that we did. But this was one, I was cautiously optimistic about this. Not because this was a movie that I felt could not be redone properly. Because of Burton. It's exactly right. You know, Tim Burton, regardless of what he says, has a style. He says he doesn't. He's full of crap. He absolutely does. And I was not sure that his style would translate to this film. See, in the whole time, I was Team Big Fish because I absolutely love that movie. I think it's one of Tim Burton's best and most underrated works. And because it's so fantastical, I thought if he applied that here to Dumbo, that Dumbo really had some great potential. And then we did a compare and contrast of the Alice in Wonderland remake. Right. And it actually had me really, really nervous for what he was going to do to Dumbo. So I was back and forth the entire time. But this is kind of something different for us because anytime we've done a compare and contrast, it's always been in succession of each other. So we haven't watched the animated Dumbo in quite a while. It's been, you know, almost a year since we did that review. Um, so without it being fresh in our minds... You know, it'll kind of be interesting to really just address this film for what it is. Yeah, I think my big fear with this film was that Burton was going to go gothic whimsy like he does. And it was going to be more like an episode of American Horror Story Freak Show that had a flying elephant. 
than it was an actual remake of Dumbo. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Yeah, no, I I definitely see the potential for for American Horror Story with it. I mean, the trailer didn't make it look that way, but you still do get that Burton darkness peppered in. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, why don't we recap the original Dumbo and then we'll go through this one to see how it compares. Very briefly, in the original Dumbo, you see the traveling circus. Uh, They travel by train. You see the storks come and deliver the babies to the animals that are traveling on the train. And you see that Mrs. Jumbo has her little baby Jumbo. And he has his big ears and he is picked on and made fun of by the other animals in the circus. And he is put into a clown act. And eventually the mother is deemed to be mad when in reality she's just defending her baby against some children that are picking on it and they are separated. It's at that point that uh, Timothy Mouse, who is sort of the ring... He's dressed like the ringleader of the circus. I suppose he's the ringleader of the animals if you're trying to make this brief. Um, He takes a liking to Dumbo. He sees that Dumbo has the ability to fly with his ears, but he only does it if he's holding a feather. And the movie concludes with Dumbo, as a part of a clown act, flying and giving the circus um, some credibility leading to Dumbo and his mother getting their own train car and living happily ever after. I mean, that is literally, in short, the the brief, I mean, in its brief, synopsis of Dumbo. But other than the crows, other than a few other things in that movie, I mean, that's it. There's not an awful lot of substance to that movie. And I think when we reviewed it, I said that was the easiest plot I would ever have to give in the history of this program. And up to this point in time... I have yet to find something that easy. Yeah, it was short. It, and and that's it's not just because it's a shorter film. It's, you know, it's a pretty simple story. Right. So to pick up where we left off, because the fact of the matter is, Dumbo 2019 basically picks off or picks up where Dumbo 1941 leaves off. Yeah, it's almost like... It's not quite what they did with Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin because you do see Christopher Robin grown up and then he goes back to revisit his childhood. Um, But it's almost like the original Dumbo is crammed into like the first 20 minutes of this film and then Burton goes off on a tangent. The first and probably biggest change is how these films start off. I mean, right off the rip, he changes it because they eliminated Look Out for Mr. Stork. Yeah. So you didn't just eliminate a song, but you did eliminate also a really big plot point because all of these mothers have their children and Mrs. Jumbo was waiting on hers to be delivered. And that really sets you up for the sucker punch when they're separated later on because she wanted this baby so badly and she had to wait And when she finally gets him, he's ridiculed. And that's out the window immediately in Burton's movie. What I do like, he scores big points for historical accuracy to start. Because where Dumbo starts 
it's Dumbo the Animated One. Yeah. It's vaguely somewhere in Florida. Burton actually pinpoints Sarasota. Right. And Sarasota is one of our homes away from home. Um, it's also the home of Ringling Brothers. And Sarasota, Florida, um, it really does pay tribute to Ringling. Um, you have Ringling Boulevard and you have the Ringling Brewery. The Ringling well, the Big Top Brewery. Yes. And, the Big which Top is brewery. but there's a lot of Ringling esque theming in the city of Sarasota. And they actually have a circus over by the mall. Um, where they still do performances on the weekend. Ringling was really, you know, Sarasota was a training facility for Ringling. So I remember that really tugged at my heartstrings from the minute this film opened up. Yeah, no, because I love that Sarasota embraces their history in a time where the circus has sort of become taboo, you know, with eliminating all of the animals. Right. Don't even get me started. I, no. I, I listen. It, it's if people can have a cause, that's great. But I grew up going to the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus every single year. One of the great regrets of my life is that I did not get to see it on its farewell tour. And I'm just going to leave that there. But it was an influential part of my childhood. No, there's a reason we frequented that brewery and not the actual museum. That's right. One day, maybe someday. Brewery first. Let's get you feeling good, yeah. and then we'll go to the and museum. And then we'll go to the museum. Anyway, it starts off in Sarasota, and instead of look out for Mr. Stork, Tim Burton chooses to start with Casey Jr. They don't do the full musical number. It's just the underscore by Danny Elfman, who scored this, as usual, in of any course. Tim Burton movie. But he I, doesn't have a style, you know, Jack. But I love Danny Elfman. Oh, yeah. And I love what he did with the arrangements. And... But he doesn't have a he doesn't have a style. We've already ripped on Burton for his. So I would I would not rip on him so much if he would just admit, yep, I use the same actors, yep, I have a style. Be Kevin Smith. There's nothing wrong with that. Admitting that you have a style and that you have an inner circle, right? Because, because that has served you well for thirty five years. That is why people want to go and see your films. That's right. If Beetlejuice didn't look like Beetlejuice does, I wouldn't care so much. He won't do it. I don't know why, but he won't do it. Well, anyway, I appreciate the fact that there's a bunch of Easter eggs in this scene where in animated Dumbo, the train was, I think it was uh, WDP for Walt Disney Pictures. And here the train has the number 41 on it because that's the year that Dumbo came out. Um, And they also, speaking of Burton's non-style, he's got the big like mayor of nightmare before christmas grin that's what it reminds me of of the train yeah Yeah. it's it's subtle it you know it's a burton but it's not like a creepy it's just whimsical it's not like creepy whimsy yes so i like that they do that coupled with just scoring it as casey jr i like that we had the music because it's reminiscent of what we know obviously but i like that they didn't do the full song because i feel like that would have cheapened it so I think it was very much of the time. It captures the energy. Danny DeVito's, you know, kind of dancing around and he's being the ringleader and he's getting everybody all hyped up. And, and I think he it, does sing Casey June yeah. coming down to track. But but da da da. 
that's the most you get, but it's really all you needed. Yeah, I, think. I agree. I think it's a great setup, and I think it really captures that, you know, excitement because they're the ones who are doing the traveling. But Dumbo, in the animated, they did a pretty good job of this, but I feel like they do it better in storybook circuit in storybook circus where they do create that energy and that excitement for the traveling circus because that's what it was. There was. You know, when it originated, there was nothing else like it. And especially if you lived in a small town, like what else were you doing? It was probably very exciting to have this entire show pop up, literally pop up. They built the tent. Yeah. I mean, they came in on the train and people would chase it down. It was it was exciting, like you said. Um, and yes, Danny DeVino, uh, Danny DeVito as Max Medici. Great. Out of the gate. Again, He's in that Burton inner circle. We saw him in Batman Returns, which is one of the better Batman movies. Didn't get its respect when it came out, but he was in Big Fish too. So, and then eventually we're going to see Michael Keaton. I don't need to, you know, revisit him as Batman. So you're starting to see some some uh, familiar faces. But yes, Devito, um, out of the gate, excellent. If I have one criticism of this movie. From the jump, way too much CGI. And I'm not just talking about Dumbo. I understand it's a flying elephant. You got to get CGI. But I got the feeling that that entire scene, that opening scene in Sarasota, where they're packing up the train and they're showing as they're setting up the circus, it's all CGI and it looks terribly fake. They actually did a lot of practical set builds for this movie because that was a huge criticism we have of Alice in Wonderland was that everything was CGI right down to the costumes. And we did not need to do that to Helena Bonham Carter's head. Um, this, there were a lot of sets, but I think where you get that look is because they were built in front of a green screen. So you're still not going to get that, you know, it's it's not quite the same as when they did something like Edward Scissorhands and they actually used a neighbor. You, I mean, you're never going to have that again. They converted a whole neighborhood to do Edward Scissorhands. Right. You can go see that in California. Um, but I think to achieve that same style that he is known for and that same kind of cinematography, it's just a shame because he does have the look of some of his earlier films, but yeah, it does look processed because you didn't do everything from scratch. Yeah. Um, you see a train roll into the station. You see some children chasing after the train. Now, this is not a circus train. This is a regular commuter train, and we meet Holt Ferrier, who is played by Colin Farrell. The children who are chasing after the train are his children, Millie and Joe. And we see that uh, Holt has gone off to the war and has lost his left arm. Holt and his wife had been stars of the circus. They had done the stallion show, where it was a little bit of rodeo, a little bit of Broadway. Um, and we learn that uh, Holt's wife has died. It's Disney, so of course we have a dead parent. Um, turns out that, as Danny DeVito will later tell us, the influenza hit the circus hard, and she fought very hard to the end, but she was one of the 
casualties. So you're trying to figure out exactly how Holt and his children will play into the circus moving forward. Because the son Joe is very young. Millie is, you know, I'd say... Nine or ten. Old enough where they think she should be learning a show, learning an act. But she is all about scientific discovery. She wants to be the next uh, Madame Curie. She doesn't want to be a circus performer. And because Holt no longer has his arm, he is relegated in his mind, relegated to watching after the elephants. He's no longer going to be in the stallion show in spite of the fact that he keeps trying to show Max that he can still do the job. And you see that they've fallen on hard times because other than losing a number of cast members at the circus, they've also downsized the circus, they've sold the stallions off, and the circus tent that Holt and his children live in, Holt comes home and says, where's all the nice furniture? Why don't we have our own rooms? You know, they basically sold it all off, Medici did, to keep the circus afloat. So immediately, you're hit with some drama. There's more drama here than there is in the original film. Yeah, this is where Burton went dark, where I didn't think he was going to. Yeah. And more of the dark moments are with the story than with the set, like you would expect. Um, You know, when Colin Farrell enters... It really does pack a punch. I mean, I like that it sets up that it's very true to the era that he's coming back from the war. Um, you know, and these poor kids are already traumatized with the loss of their mother. And now they finally get their father back, but he's different. And it was a really interesting choice on Burton's part to do something that is that uncomfortable. You know, it's something that I feel like people do tend to shy away from. And, you know, that's demonstrated in the appalling way that our veterans are treated. But especially from a child's perspective, that's something that, you know, would be really upsetting. And these kids have already dealt with quite a bit at a very young age. Um, But it was a smart choice, too, because that later does come full circle into the story. So... You know, I I just think it's a really interesting way for them to get historical accuracy and and make it serve later on. It's a way of turning the film into a tried and true period piece. And that's where Burton accomplishes his goal and, and does it swimmingly, by the way. Any change that Burton has made that I will eventually be critical of um, and, and let's not mix signals. I don't hate Tim Burton. I've never hated Tim Burton. It's just that I'm kind of getting tired of Tim Burton being Tim Burton. We're but also products of the 90s. We've said it a million times on this show. Is that like, you know, we were raised on Batman and Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands. And like, it's not quite the same anymore. And nothing is ever going to be like those things. And there were, Nightmare, well, There were also times where he tries to jam Tim Burton into... Films and scenarios where it's not appropriate. In this case, him making it a period piece, in spite of the fact that the colors are very pale and a lot of things are washed out, it works here. And any change that he has made up to this point works because they've also taken the voice away from the animal. 
Remember, in the original Dumbo, there's very little, other than the ringleader, there's very little communication human to human. It's all animal to animal. I like the fact that this is a human film and that the animals are not talking with CGI lips. I would agree with you there, but this is where he also did make some really smart choices in the setup as well because Mrs. Jumbo in the original animated has one speaking line when she names him, and that's it. Dumbo has no speaking lines. So this isn't like a case of like what Favreau did with Jungle Book and The Lion King where those are full-blown animations where the animals are talking and they do have to carry it. This does have a little bit of wiggle room because your main character never talks. So I think it was definitely a smart choice to introduce the children because they have to give Dumbo a voice right? instead of going with a Timothy Mouse who was Dumbo's voice throughout. The only thing that I don't like is that the kids don't champion Dumbo the same way that Timothy does throughout the film. The kids have like their own set of problems. So this is still a story about finding your inner strength, but it becomes more about embracing what makes you different rather than standing up for yourself like in the animated one because you lose that whole bullying storyline as well. And that's where eliminating the animals talking does sort of create a problem here because you're losing a lot of what pushes the Dumbo character forward. Yeah, I mean, you have it a little bit. Some of the quote-unquote rustabouts uh, that are at the circus. You know, we had the Rustabout song in the original Dumbo. We obviously don't have that here either. Um, some of them do pick fun at Dumbo for his ears. And Medici says, I got enough fake freaks in the freak show. I don't need another one here. So, but but yes, you're right. The, the bullying amongst the animals uh, is no longer there. Um but I, I do think that in this case it works. And and to get back on that, um, Medici explains that he made an investment in buying this African or uh, this Asian elephant, I should say. And when Holt sees her, she's lying on her side. She's groaning. He goes, so you got an old sick elephant. Medici says, no, she's pregnant. So we when she eventually gives birth, we see the ears. That's when Medici makes his comment about it and basically says to Holt, you're looking after the elephants. It's your responsibility to make these ears go away. Well, how are you going to do that? Exactly. You can't just make the ears go away. Right. And it, you know, it adds insult to literal injury because, you know, the kids aren't the only ones who are dealing with change. It's Holt as well, because after everything that he's been through in the war, now not only, you know, he wants to come back to his home and find his constant. Now he's got to deal with his wife being gone and he can't perform the way that he used to. And now he's inherited this problem from Medici, which I do like that they address that, you know, not only did they cut the number, Mr. Stork, that's what brings this into the real world is that he acquired this elephant and she's pregnant. So you really didn't need to begin with that number either, obviously. Yeah. And DeVito is spectacular. I really like what they did with the character because they made him 
like slightly eccentric. They didn't make him like some washed up guy who's like reliving his glory days when the circus was a full house every night. They didn't make him a drunk, thank goodness, because I feel like that would have been super derivative. I like what they did. Yeah, I like him as a character. I think that he's endearing because he is sort of washed up, but he's trying to do the best that he can so that he can provide for the remaining entertainers in the circus because he does view them as a family. So you do get an added element of drama there. Um, plus you have Holt, as you mentioned, he doesn't have his wife anymore. He can't perform. He's inherited this elephant job that he thinks is beneath him. But now he's completely disconnected from his children. So there's added drama throughout and that's where Burton succeeded in expanding on the original story of Dumbo. At least that's that's how I took it when I saw it the first time. Absolutely. No, I think that there's a great setup here. But this is where the film really starts to deviate from the original. Um, because what I think a lot of people forget about the original is it takes almost the entire film for him to fly. Yeah, he flies one time. You only see it once, yeah. And he does it almost by accident because there's one night, I forget if it's the ringleader, or the, I keep saying ringleader, it's ringmaster or the rustabouts. They accidentally dump champagne in a bucket and Dumbo drinks it. He gets drunk off the champagne and then... With Timothy. Yeah. With Timothy, yeah. And then... He flies and he doesn't even know that he can. And it's the crows who tell him the next, the next morning, morning yeah. you can actually fly. Yeah. So instead, this time, he discovers that he can fly quite by accident. Um, he's already separated from his mother at this point, which they were also really smart about doing, too, because... In the animated one, she's provoked by the other really snippy elephants who keep making fun of Dumbo. And then she flies off the handle and gets labeled as the mad elephant. In this case, um, it's again that conflict with Holt trying to figure out his new place in the circus. And he's being provoked by one of the other rustabouts because, you know, she just had the baby. She's she's trying to be very protective of Dumbo or at this point it's, you know, Jumbo Jr. Um, and they're all just pushing her and Dumbo to perform and Holt is trying to, you know, calm her. You know, this other guy who's working with the elephants keeps pushing her and that's where the conflict arises between the two humans. And again, smart choice because they're the ones who are carrying the dialogue. There is no dialogue with the animals. So right. that's what eventually gets Mrs. Jumbo locked up. And let's not overlook the fact that this whole thing happened because to tie back around to what I said, Holt's solution to Dumbo's ears was to put a bonnet on its on right, his head, right. tie the ears back, and then parade him around as the newborn baby of the circus and the bonnet falls off and people start laughing at him and Mrs. Jumbo sees how he's being treated and she comes into the circus tent to defend him and the circus tent comes down and the other circus employee who is antagonizing her is killed by accident and that's why she is sent off. And eventually what happens is Medici turns to the person who sold him the elephant 
and sells her back because he said, you sold me, you knowingly sold me a killer elephant and sells her back at half the cost. And that's why she is separated from Dumbo. Right. And they still give you baby of mine. Yep. Um, Which was well done, by the way. Not as sad as I thought it was going to be, because when they did this trailer, you know, you just get those few notes. Yep. And and that's it. And it's, you know, really sad and really heartbreaking. Um, this, I almost feel like there was more of a hopeful tone, because what they did... In, in the original animation, you never really see Mrs. Jumbo singing, so it's really more part of the soundtrack than an actual, like, musical number. Um, in this case, it's one of the circus performers, the, the woman that plays the mermaid. Yes. She's singing it, like, on a ukulele. So it's almost more, um, it's got more of a positive note, I feel like. It's, yeah, and sort of maternal. I want to talk about this scene for a minute. Um... I'm I'm happy that the song wasn't left out because they do leave the rest of the songs out. When I see an elephant flies, not there. The roundabout song's not there. The stork song, as you said, is not there. This is not a song that you could leave out of this movie. I think it's too iconic to the original Dumbo. But what I like here is that um, Burton devises this plot line and this story where there are these scared elephants that are you know, set off into destroying the circus tent. And you have to do that because they don't have voices. They can't tease Dumbo or baby Jumbo up to this point in time. So I like that this has happened. What I don't like, though, is Rufus is the name of the circus employee or the rustabout that antagonizes Holt, antagonizes um, Mrs. Jumbo. But... It's a completely unmotivated behavior. You don't really know why he behaves the way that he does, other than the fact that, I mean, I, you, I'm just going to say it. You look at him, and he looks like something that belongs in a circus. But he doesn't, like, if they built on that, like, you know, it was him, and then there was, like, the beautiful trapeze performers, and he had jealousy, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense to you? Like, he's just, he's ghoulish in form. And I can understand if they wanted to build a story around that. But he's sort of just ghoulish. And he's a villain for the purpose of being one. Well, they sort of allude to it because he does take a couple of digs about how he can no longer ride the horses. And he gives him a hard time immediately as soon as Holt starts working with the elephants and he's taking digs about his arm and you know that he can no longer write like you know the poor guy's been through enough leave him alone so they could have said it more explicitly why he was giving him such a hard time but they kind of dance around it a little bit well the other thing is for all intents and purposes he's a stagehand who cleans up after the mess that the animals leave behind. So for all so so why who is he to go after a performer? You know what I'm saying? Like I'm thinking about this in terms of stage performers and then employees of say a theater or of a theater production. Who are you to go after this person and why? And you never really get clarity on that. 
I feel like he's a villain because you needed one. Yeah, or you just needed a, you know, you a catalyst. An antagonist. Yeah, you d- you did need something to set the elephants off. You did need that all to come to a head because otherwise, how are you going to bring this tent crashing down? Yeah, I mean, he's abusive towards animals and humans just because he's abusive towards them. It it never really gets fleshed out as to why. No, and I could even see if he was maybe he bullies Dumbo a little bit more because of the ears. Then you're still sticking to that original story, but at the same time. I do kind of appreciate that they did cause an issue, though, because this has to be about the humans. This has to be about their conflict. Right. And, you know, it does raise the the stakes because now the circus is literally crashing down. They're already having enough trouble selling tickets. And now you've got bad publicity on top of it because you've got injury. You've got a mad elephant. And, you know, it causes more tension for Medici because he's trying to... You know, he's having a hard enough time keeping this thing afloat. At this point, Burton has deviated quite a bit from the original. It's all working for him. And now it's probably one of the biggest changes that he made. He's putting Dumbo in the air within the first 15 to 20 minutes of the film. And as I mentioned before, when in the animation, Dumbo discovers he can fly, it's completely by accident. This is sort of an accident, but they take it and run with it immediately. Yeah, where he sucks the feather up into his trunk and he sort of sneezes and then his ears flap. Then, you know, it's, and he gets it, some air. Yeah, it's the, and the kids realize that he can do this. It's by accident, but I think we all sort of knew that this was going to happen early in the film. Because in the trailer, they show him flying quite a bit, but it does work for this film because, you know... The circus is falling apart, and now here's your gimmick. Yeah, here's your savior, um, which he does do. Um, the media catches the, uh, or it catches the media's attention, I should say. And you get Van Devere, who is a big entertainment mogul from New York. He has his dreamland, and he catches wind of this flying elephant. So he leaves New York to go to... I f- were they in Arkansas? I don't remember it's where they were. Somewhere in Middle America at this point. They go and they find uh, Medici. He brings Colette, his uh, trapeze artist, played Slash by accessory. Yeah, exactly. Played by Ava Green, um, and 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 Vandiver is um, played Vandiver, by Vandiver, Vandiver, Vandiver. Played by Michael Keaton. Remember, Burton doesn't have a style. Um, I'm going to keep saying that, and I will always say that until he admits it. And it's fine. Just do what Kevin Smith does and say it's fine. But we've... We're not going to judge you if you say, yeah, I got a style. I like Twisted Trees and Michael Keaton. I'd say, so do I. Keep it coming. But we've said it on the show before. We have seen his work on display, and from when he was a child, he was drawing these things. It is a style, Because this is what you've drawn consistently since you were like three years old. So I agree with you there. Just embrace it. But I also think his head is a weird place. And whatever's in it is just coming out in whatever form it's in. (laughs) You think it's a weird place? No. It is a weird place. Fair. But I I think it's just kind of what you see is what you get. I mean, look look at his hair. Yeah, well, he doesn't care. He combs his hair with a balloon. But Vandiver comes in and basically says to Medici, 
Um, I want to make you a partner. This is his way of... It, he's buying Dumbo. That's the thing. He doesn't care about the other entertainers. He doesn't care about Medici, but he wants the flying elephant. But he tells Medici, I'll make you a partner and give your entire staff a home. Again, and this is where the character choices that they made for Medici were really smart because, you know... He's not trying to sell these people out. He does want to make sure, you know, he even says this is a family and he wants to make sure they're all taken care of. And he knows the potential for this to go awry now that big money is backing him. Right. And Michael Keaton wants to bring them, as he says, dead rebel. (laughs) Because you can't understand a damn word Michael Keaton says in half of his dialogue. Yeah, there's a lot of mumble and like not in the Beetlejuicy way where there's so many side conversations and he's just being like completely gross and, you know, and sort of eccentric. Yeah, embracing it, but like on the side quietly. Yeah, not like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like this, babe. Exactly. No, it's just he mumbles through most of his dialogue and... That's not Michael Keaton, who is an extraordinarily talented actor. But I literally cannot understand half of what he says in this movie. No, and I love all this later career stuff that Keaton is doing where he's taken on a lot of these villainous roles. Every time he's knocked it out of the park, whether it's been in... Okay, not that Birdman was like a villain, but... Um, you know, he was the villain in RoboCop. Then he did that other movie where he was the founder of McDonald's founder. where I, I, I always t- forget he, the name of that movie. Yeah, okay. Which but is he, horrible. Uh, yeah, and he, he kind of plays both sides. Yeah, he's he's not supposed to be the villain, but he's a very conflicted character. And now... Well, he's a scumbag businessman. Exactly, exactly. He's a shyster. And in this one, he's a shyster, too, because he's got the big smile on it. And I wonder, and I really hope this is not what was done, but, you know, there's a lot of parallels to draw from this Dreamland thing. I really wonder if this is how Burton saw Walt Disney, who, you know, even though he worked as a Disney animator for a short period of time, it was after Walt's lifetime. I don't I don't think he ever met the man. I would love to know, it's Tim Burton, I would love to know where in Tim Burton's mind, Vanderveer is anything like Walt Disney. I I get it in terms of Dreamland that he built for himself with the amusement park and the entertainment. Yes, I see the parallels. And you see a nod to the carousel of progress. That's all well and good. But Walt Disney was able to articulate anything that was on his mind. Vanderveer <laughs> sounds at times like Farmer Fran from The Water Boy. That's problematic. If you're trying to parody, for a lack of a better term, one of the most influential human beings that ever walked the face of God's green earth as as Walt Disney was, you could not have swung and missed any worse than you did if you think that's how you interpret what Walt Disney was. 
I'm not saying that's what he was trying to do, but I agree with you. There are parodies between Disneyland, Disney World, the World's Fair, and what you see here in Dreamland. I would love to hope that that was not their motivation for that character because I would love to know which version of Walt Disney you watched while developing your idea of how Vanderveer was going to emote. Speaking of Dreamland, I do want to disagree with something that you said before. Okay. You said that there were a lot of washed out colors, which is definitely one of Tim Burton's non-stylistic choices. Like, obviously, we've seen it in Sleepy Hollow. Um, what's the other one where the barber slits the throat? Sweeney uh, Todd. Sweeney Todd. How, how could I forget that? Um, Dreamland is washed out. I will give you that one. But the circus is very bright. So I think that was a very smart stylistic choice, albeit on the nose, to, you know, sort of create this dark and dreary place because you know that Medici has now unintentionally sold out his people. It's supposed to create that foreboding sense of not being able to trust Vanderveer because at this point he's still got the smile plastered on his face. I think, yeah, it's it's the commercialism. Um, I disagree though because if you look at those clowns, obviously white faces, very you know pale faces, very dark lipstick, very dark makeup. They have the spirals on their knees. Right, but that's once you get to Dreamland. That's exactly what I'm talking about, though. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Dreamland is washed out, but I don't think the whole film is washed out. I'm um, saying they intentionally made Dreamland more washed out and the actual circus, when it's still under Medici's control, when it's still traveling, is very bright. I think a lot of it looks sun-bleached, um, which I suppose is their artistic way of saying that the upkeep on the tents and on the train cars is not as um, active as it would be on, say, a Ringling Brothers thing, um, you know, if they had their traveling circus coming through town. Um, I, I do think that the... I, I think that the, the costumes are very beautiful, but um, I, I think it's the same middle America that we've seen portrayed in other Burton films. Aside from being washed out, there are a lot of things that stand out about Dreamland to me. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of parallels to Disney in that it looks like Tomorrowland. I think it was also supposed to pull from that era of maybe like Coney Island and the boardwalk, because there's definitely a boardwalk there. Yep. But to me, it looks like this weird amalgamation of like Disney meets Prohibition era Atlantic City, which are two things that I never thought would be together. I also think that when they added Nightmare Land, of course you had to have Nightmare Land because you found a way to put a twisted tree in the Dumbo movie. I, I understand it's supposed to be a freak show, but, and that's where we end up seeing spoiler. Well, it's not really a spoiler because you're listening to us talk about the show or about the film, I should say. That's where Mrs. Jumbo is. And she looks like she's from Borneo and she's a mad <laughs> elephant from there. That's where she ended up. Nightmare Land. And I, I remember just kind of rolling my eyes going, oh, yes. 
It's completely unsurprising. It's unsurprising. It's Burton-esque. And rather than just having a freak show like the boardwalk did, you had to have Nightmare Land with a werewolf and a crocodile and a twisted tree. I'm really surprised that that's not where he put Medici's circus because eventually he does tell Medici to get rid of it. After he promised to employ them all, he was like, yeah, but I never said for how long. I'm surprised he didn't make them the freak show at Nightmare Island. Because to me, that would have been more insulting rather than just cutting them loose. Right, because you would have just relegated them to being something less than what they were on their best day in their own circus. Exactly. Um, Well, anyway, you see that his grand plan really is just to use Dumbo to sell tickets. And yes, eventually he does fire the rest of the circus. The person that he wants to fly Dumbo is Ava Green, who plays Colette. We mentioned it before. She's spectacular, by the way. She is, and I hate to say this because she is so great in this movie, you don't need this character. Because if the point was to use Dumbo as the commodity to sell tickets, he's going to do it no matter what. He doesn't need a beautiful girl to ride her. To ride him, rather. I think that you needed... Well, you didn't need... But in the eyes of Burton, you needed a love interest for Holt. And I think you also needed people that were going to turn against Vandermeer. Other than his, I don't want to say it's his valet, but maybe his butler or his chauffeur that turns against him later in the movie. I think you needed people who were very close to Vandermeer to eventually turn against him when they see the inherent evil that is Vandermeer. I would have I been agree fine with if you. I don't she's not she's not a necessity but I understand why she's there and her presence does not upset me but I I get what you're saying though It doesn't upset me either but I just feel like you kind of could have just done it without her although I will say um you know the character is very likable and what's impressive about her is that she she's just like I already know how to fly and I can fly anything and she's not intimidated to ride him at all like she's so determined to get up there when they're when they're doing their training I do like the fact that um I'm not gonna say she humanizes Dumbo but other than and I guess that's I guess that's where you needed her I guess is because everybody that's in Medici Circus embraces Dumbo for what he is so you go to this Vandiver Circus, which is, you know, not even a step up. It's 10 steps ahead of Medici. Mm-hmm. And for all intents and purposes, these performers should think who they are. And she does to an extent, but even she embraces Dumbo for what he really is. So I guess I, I guess the character is more than just, as you said, a, a pretty face that's going to fly on him. No, because she does, you're right, she does acknowledge how special he is. Not and just that he's this one. unique thing to sell tickets. He's not just a meal ticket, like he is with Alan Arkin, who later comes in as a banker, or with Vanderveer himself. It's not just a meal ticket. It's, there's something else there. A packet's arm? Alan Arkin is everything that I never knew I needed in a Disney movie. Yeah. Fantastic. He's got two lines, but they make me so happy. 
I still think you can sort of take it or leave it with Colette, though, because here's another major thing that they've lost at this point. We've talked about how amazing the Dumbo animation was because of the way that he emotes and he has no speaking lines. I feel like that's completely gone here. Dumbo's adorable. Don't get me wrong. But the kids are sort of the mouthpiece. Colette is sort of the mouth the mouthpiece, but you're not really getting that same championing for him the way that you were with Timothy Mouse. And that also, I think, has more to do with eliminating the bullying storyline. I guess I, I do. I appreciate the childhood innocence that those kids bring to believing in Dumbo. And like I said, it makes sense with Colette. I get what you mean, but of all of the changes in this movie, I don't even want to call them changes so much. I mean, there's a couple as I started this episode off, I feel like this sort of expands on where the first movie, where the original movie left off of all of the things that happens that Burton put his stamp on. That's one of the things that I have less issue with. If I have issue with anything in the first um, vision of Dumbo, in the Van de Veer Circus, in his first scene, I do like the fact that you get the stuffed Dumbo animal, the stuffed animal at the souvenir stand, which is the same thing you'd buy at Walt Disney World. Um, the elephants that are portrayed as bubbles... The pink elephants. That's too much heffalumps and woozles to me. I don't get pink elephants out of that. I get heffalumps and woozles. Well, we kind of hit on that in our review of the original. I don't think that that has anything to do with Burton. I think that you just have two very similar sequences between Dumbo and Winnie the Pooh. And the music is very similar. Um... Here's the only thing that I didn't love about it. I like that Burton does circle back to the original and that he did find a way to get another of the original songs in there because at this point you've you've cut a ton. So what I was really wanting from Burton, I wanted like that fever dream, you know, and I was expecting this to be a lot more whimsical, a lot more dark. Um but the way that they used it here, I think it works because, you know, let's not forget that in the original, this is when Dumbo's drunk that he sees the pink elephants. So here they use it as a device for his stage fright because he's about to perform in Van Devere's circus for the first time and his imagination store, sort of starts to run away with him. The, the, they're there. The pink elephants are actually there as bubbles, but they start to morph in his mind. Yeah, but I don't feel like it was necessary. If you can't make the pink elephants work because you're not getting the baby elephant intoxicated, which is not <laughs> something I thought I'd ever say out loud um, in my life, yet here we are, um, that you didn't necessarily need it. I, I don't think this needed to be there. But I guess that's what I'm saying. I'd rather see it here and it's also used as a plot device because it establishes that he's too scared to perform under these conditions as opposed to like, I don't know, maybe let's say one of the former 
Medici's circus acts just go getting bombed because they're not on stage right now. But I don't think you need to show it at all to to uh, back up the fact that this character has stage fright because up to this point, you've seen that he's hesitant to perform in other people unless he sucks a feather into his trunk. So uh, that's what I, I don't think this is necessary at all. I find it to just be kind of jarring. I mean, you can feel the way that you feel. I'm not saying you're wrong, but... Of all of the things that Burton took liberty with, I don't understand why we didn't just cut this whole sequence and idea to begin with. Well, I think that's probably because Burton probably at this point had some boxes to check about things that he had to keep true to the original because so much else has deviated. But I mean, this is we're in a whole new movie at this point. Oh, yeah. There is none of this other than a flying elephant that has to do with the original Dumbo. So I think this was their way of giving you some familiar visuals and tying it back to the animation just for the sake of being able to call it a remake, really. You know what else I didn't need in this movie? Let's get ready for Dumbo! <laughs> when Michael Ushery came on the screen, I said, oh, God, no. And it's not that I don't like Michael Ushery, but I just knew where that was going and we didn't need it but let me ask you this michael ushery what am i talking about michael buffer where did i get ushery from i have no idea michael buffer it's a wrestling thing so i was just letting you go with it boxing he was boxing i don't know what michael buffer i thought he was my i thought he was michael ushery i don't know why well anyway it doesn't matter michael buffer I I needed a buffer for Michael Buffer. This was not necessary. Let me ask you something, though. Yeah. Would you have preferred Danny DeVito to come and do that in the Michael Buffer voice? Um, I don't think it needed to be done at all. But I'm saying at least they got him to do it. Of course they got him to do it. What else is he doing, (laughs) Michael Buffer? At this point, Michael Buffer is a Michael Buffer parody, and that's the problem. Michael Buffer was known for doing the let's get ready to rumble thing in the 80s and the 90s and has since become a caricature of his own catchphrase because that's how he makes money. You didn't need it here. This is plastic cheese, the worst kind of cheese. (laughs) This is the craft single that you take out of the peel paper with the wax. You don't know where it came from. It has an expiration date 11 years from now, and you slap it on a cheeseburger, and it doesn't melt properly, and they sell it at McDonald's. That's what this is. Let's get ready for Dumbo. You didn't need it. It wasn't necessary. And what's worse than happening one time is that it happens twice. (laughs) Yeah. This doesn't just happen once. It happens multiple times in this movie. Right, because they do the first one where he's got the stage fright, and then the next performance, it's the, okay, you better deliver. Yeah. But now he knows his mother's there because he's heard the call. He's heard the call. He has seen Mrs. Jumbo. And at this point, the Medici cast has found out that they're getting pink slipped. So... To get back at Vanderveer, even Colette, who has grown disillusioned with him, has decided that since they're all going to be out of jobs anyway, they will help baby Jumbo, Dumbo, 
and Mrs. Jumbo escape together so that they can live happily ever after. And they devise a plan where Holt will cut a hole in the circus tent, and during the act, Dumbo will fly out of the hole, reconvene with his mother, and there's a lot of drama in between where Vandeveer catches on to what they're doing, he and his henchmen, and they try to stop them, and the Medici entertainers go to Nightmare Island and they stop them from taking Mrs. Jumbo away because they're going to go sell her and kill her again. They I'm, create a diversion. Yeah. But they, they got their comeuppance. They did, which was fine. And <clears throat> the long and the short of this is that basically Dreamland is destroyed. It Literally crashes fire, and burns. It catches and burns. And that's that's what they do. They sneak up to the tower they cut all the lights out while they're trying to sneak. And that's it. The cages open up so they can get her out. And then Vanderveer gets wind of what's going on. He turns it back on and they're like, no, don't do it all at once. You're going to short it. Yeah. And then he shorts it and everything and catches on fire. Anyway. And then you see the people of the Carousel of Progress burning. Yeah. it's it, and, and then the end of the movie is a mess. And uh, eventually Dumbo and his mother go back to... Asia, I suppose, or wherever it is that they are from, because we don't really, we know they're Asian elephants, but we don't know where they go. They just go back to the jungle. It looks straight out of Favreau's Jungle Book watering hole. Which is supposed to be, uh, that's Indian, I think. I think that that was India, though. Well, it looks like the exact same thing. Here's the thing you, you want to make a political statement. And I don't like to get into politics on this show. And I miss the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus desperately. This was the proper way, in my opinion, to make a statement. You made a period piece where the circus was a thing. It was very popular. It had animals. Okay, fine. You release the animals, at least Dumbo and his mother, so that they can go back to their natural habitat. You're not on a soapbox. It wasn't preachy. But you made your statement about releasing these elements or elephants out of the circus back into their natural element. They did it the right way. They absolutely did. And everybody does get a happy ending. But the end of this movie and the chaos that happens at the end of this movie is absolute rubbish. It's way too much. I understand, again, you want Vandeveer to have his comeuppance. You want him to lose Dreamland. You want it to burn down. But for all that happened, it's just badly embellished here. Again, I'm wondering if this is in Burton's mind, his way of like taking it out on Disney to see everything like crash and burn. Although supposedly he's a fan of amusement parks. Tim Burton has a career in Hollywood because he started as a Disney animator. Yeah, and let's not forget that. Black Cauldron. Yeah. He was on it. Yeah, okay. Go he watch does, Waking he, Sleeping Beauty. But he does, though. Plus. That's the thing. He oh, does, yeah. though. He thinks he's he's he thinks he's successful because he's Tim Burton. There's a there there there's a lot of truth in that, but without having that company on your resume, nobody gives a crap about you or your weird drawings from when you were a six year old. I'm just saying. Here's where I think they missed a lot of opportunity to tie this up at the end. Especially, you know, they could have maybe done it in such a way where it didn't have to be so exaggerated with everything burning. Um, because that's the thing. They do get Mrs. Jumbo out. 
they get Dumbo reunited with her and they're about to put them on a boat to go wherever back it to is their homeland, going. wherever it is they're going. And then Dumbo, the kids are supposed to be there. They realize the kids are missing. Dumbo goes back into the burning tent to save them. Okay, we escalated. It's very dramatic. He puts out the fire, which does tie back to the beginning because that's how they were doing the initial show at Medici where he's putting the fire out in the scene with the clowns and then flying. So it it definitely comes full circle in that regard. But I feel like, okay, I like how they utilize the circus performers from Medici Circus and they did give them their chance to shine. But I feel like I would have liked to see a couple things happen. Maybe, you know, because you've cast them aside as circus freaks, maybe like embracing what makes them different and using that they kind of did it but like not enough like the mermaid is singing okay fine they use the strong man to bend the bars but like I wish I would have seen a little bit more of the quirkiness and what makes them different being utilized to save the day the other thing that I would have really liked to see is this is where you can bring in when I see an elephant fly you didn't necessarily have to scratch that song and I sort of understand where you did because we had talked about it when we reviewed the original that the crows were they've become very controversial characters at the time. You know, it's become a controversy because they're perceived as racist. But at the time, it was actually sort of a progressive thing to do because they actually casted African-American voice actors in these roles at a time where they were not being hired. Um, and that's sort of gone back and forth over the years. So I can understand where if he didn't want to touch that and, and have some sort of character that embodied the crows, fine. But you did take out a very big song. And I sort of understand that too, because some of the words, that's also where this does become a stereotype. So what are your options? You you either keep the song and offend people, which of course you don't want to do, or you have Danny Elfman, who is one of the most talented people in the world, change the lyrics, but then you sort of whitewash the song. I feel right. like you there are... There's no right way. Yeah, you're caught between a rock and a hard place, but you could have maybe at least do what you did with Casey Jr. and just play the music. We're all going to know what the song is. We know what the lyrics are. You still could have had it. And if you really wanted to do a nod, they have they keep using the feathers to make Dumbo fly, and they're all from costumes. They're all these fancy feathers. Maybe he picks up a crow feather, and that's what gets him back to the kids. You could have done like a slight hat tip, just one more thing to tie it back to the original. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that it would have made a ton of people happy, um, which is a shame because I think what people lose sight of is the fact that in, in many ways the crows are sort of the heroes of the original Dumbo. Because, because they're they the make ones... him believe in himself. Yes. Um, I, I understand why they didn't um, pursue it in this film. Um, I think to leave them out entirely was probably the safe thing to do. And I think given the controversy that is the crows as we sit here now in the year 2020 when the movie came out was 2019 i don't think you had any alternative other than to play it safe so i kind of get it 
No, and that goes back to what I said before about the Pink Elephants. You've act you've axed so many big songs at this point. You had to tie something back. So if that was Burton's out on this one by doing something less controversial and still doing something faithful to the original, I kind of feel like that scene makes even more sense now with the Pink Elephants. I think in conclusion, we had said that this was a movie that could stand to be remade. I think that the movie falls apart in the second half. I think that the story that Burton told and the changes that he made getting through the original version of Dumbo, as we knew it, as it translated to this film, he knocked that out of the park. I didn't mind the introduction of Vanderveer, but I felt like as soon as Vanderveer entered the movie, that's where it fell apart. I said it before. Michael Keaton's lines are garbled. He swallows a lot of his words. Um, and I think that it's a lot of chaos for the sake of chaos, and the movie falls apart in the second half. It's not a bad film. It's not a good film. It's just something that's there. I appreciate that you stand by what you said because you did say that in the monoreal in a minute as well. My opinion has actually changed and I disagree with you. The more I watch this film, the more I enjoy it for what it is, actually. And not just because Burton addressed a lot of the issues with the original. I think that, yes, he does almost make a completely different film. I, I think it's fair to say that this is more based on Dumbo than... A straight remake. Exactly. So if you take that out of it and look at what's here and standing on its own, you know, I think he actually tells a pretty good full circle story because it is about embracing what makes you different. And that doesn't just apply to Dumbo here. It also applies to Holt because now he's figured out his new place in the world with the hand that he was dealt with. That's a poor choice of words. But but it isn't, though, because he does have the fake arm made, and you do see after Dumbo goes free, the Medici family circus. It's not Medici brothers. It's Medici family. That and he and Colette have a little... horrible. He and Colette have... Um, kind of built on their story and it's more than just a romance but even before that he saves the day he's got to climb the yeah. tent with one hand he's okay here's your bad pun he single-handedly saves the day yes but no in all seriousness tim burton does with all the changes he made to the story he manages to bring them all full circle there were things that he could have done to make it more true to the original but I do appreciate where he did stick to his guns on this one. Sure. I thought Colin Farrell was really good. I didn't mention that before. Uh, to be honest with you, the, the whole cast is great except, except for Keaton. For, except for Keaton. I hate and that's saying that. the letdown. Yeah. Because I love Michael Keaton. I have since I was a kid. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say about the 2019 live action remake of Dumbo. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can send us an email, monorealradio at gmail.com. We're going to get to news in just a moment, but first, a quick break. 
If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Some Disney Plus news this week. More Disney Plus news. Because I think it's going to be a very Disney Plus year. I think we said that a couple of weeks ago. They only have seven theatrical releases this year, only which sounds... <laughs> which a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of studios would <laughs> well, kill for that. Right. But in comparison... Yeah. To I mean, when you think about think about 2018, that was the year of the remake. I mean, you had Aladdin, Lion King, Dumbo. No, that oh, was no, that, was, that was last year. But then before that, it was Christopher Robin and Wreck It Ralph, or was that Incredibles? That was incredible. There was a lot. The last two years are completely jumbled in my mind, but there were a ton of sequels and remakes. In the last two years. Yeah. So comparatively, you know what it was? Seven's Tw- not a lot. 2018 was a big lead up for Marvel for the that's MCU. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Well, anyway, you have Timothy Failure. Mistakes were made. That was announced. I don't know what this is, uh, other than it's based on books. And it has a huge budget for a Disney Plus movie, over $40 million wow. they have invested in this. I guess it's YA I don't know I don't know anything about this I don't even know if it's YA it might be middle grade I've, I've never heard of this but what, what caught my eye is that the tagline is mistakes are made and you say that quite often I see a kid on a Segway being followed by a polar bear that to me is is fairly interesting I mean I'll watch it it can't be any worse than wrinkle in time I don't know what Artemis Fowl is going to be. That comes out later this year. That's one of the very few theatrical releases. But I can see where Disney is going to attach themselves to more of these things because you've seen where, well, Twilight was its own thing. That was a global phenomenon. Really, Harry Potter is what did it. Harry Potter, Ready Player One, these movies did well and I guess Disney's jumping on the bandwagon, but I kind of like that they're doing this as a straight-to-streaming thing. Well, I mean, think about it. Disney's source material has always been books. It's just that I think they're out of fairy tales. I also uh, yeah, think I, I also... they've exhausted everything that... I mean, they've gone back. They were working... Frozen was something that Disney was working on during his lifetime. It wasn't Frozen. It was... I forget what it was called. The the Ice Queen, I think. So really, if you've exhausted all of his ideas and the fairy tales, what else are you going to do? We also know that these studios, as you have pointed out many times, like to attach themselves to franchises. And I think because the MCU has come to a close for now... And because Star Wars has come to a close for now, other than The Mandalorian, they have to get something else to attach themselves to. That has a built-in audience. And that's what this is. But I think it's probably smart to go right to the streaming service. I Again, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about these books. But based on what I have seen, which is a poster, as crazy as this sounds... 
to me, it makes sense to go right to the streaming service. Like the odd life of Timothy Green, I think we saw it once. And I think to myself, would that have worked better as a Disney Plus film rather than a theatrical run? Yes, probably. probably. It probably would have. But to be fair, you know, we got The Mandalorian. I think that's more an adult series. Okay, High School Musical, the musical, the series is out now. I think that that's really for everyone because I think there's enough there that kids will enjoy. But now the people that grew up with High School Musical are older, so they'll appreciate the Degrassi drama that's going on. So I think if this is something that's geared towards younger kids like yes they still have disney channel but you probably do want to give them a little bit more original content on disney plus let us know what you guys have to say are you excited for this do you care about it can you explain to us what it is on twitter instagram and facebook at monorail radio email monorail radio at gmail.com thank you guys so much for joining us this weekend every week here on monorail radio and don't forget make sure that you share the podcast if you love the episode or if you have friends or family that would be into listening to our review of dumbo or any review that we have done on monorail radio also don't forget that you can leave us a review on facebook or on your podcast platform of choice Follow us on the social media. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice or on your podcast app. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.